0: I hope that this doesn't come as any surprise or a shock to you, but you're going to die. Should the Lord tarry and delay his coming, you and I will one day face the terrifying prospect of drawing our last breath, whether we are ready for it or whether it comes upon us unexpectedly. Either scenario is just as likely. That's what today's ashes are about, and I'm convinced that they are more important and more needed than ever. In our postmodern world, where medical care is more advanced than ever, where we can live longer than ever, we are not confronted with our own mortality as much as the previous generations have been. The reaction to the COVID-19 pandemic is an indicator of a culture that does not how to that does not know how to process or to handle the reality of death. So we use the ashes to remind you of its very real and present threat. And as sure as they will touch your skin, it is just as sure that one day every single one of us will be prettied up as much as possible even though there's nothing pretty about death, or we will be burned to ash and committed to the earth. So this ritual exists to put you in touch with that reality in a way that you normally are not. Because you and I are usually insulated from that harsh truth. And yet as terrifying as it can be to know that our bodies are currently wasting away even as I speak, and that the hourglass is running out for all of us, the shape that will be imprinted upon your forehead indicates that you do not have to be afraid. We've been marked by the cross of Christ in holy baptism, and because we are united to Jesus in a death like his, it means that we have the guarantee that we will be united to him in a resurrection like his. So on one hand, reality should set in for you. Whenever you hear the words, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Such is the wages of sin. It should cause us to cry out to God for mercy, like the tax collector in the temple the one who prayed in Jesus' parable, the one who would not lift his eyes to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But that word of law, that word of mortality is not the final one for you because your heavenly Father hears and responds to your pleas for mercy. He has promised to raise you on the last day And he does not lie. That's the promise that's often overlooked in our gospel lesson this evening. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives instructions for how his disciples are to go about their piety. That's acts of devotion, charity, discipline, these types of things. Hearing these words this evening gives them an added sense of urgency. You see... Because the hourglass is running out on all of us, life is too short to be concerned with the approval and the praise, the flowers and the accolades that come from others who are impressed by your holiness. This is what the Pharisees were guilty of in Jesus' day. When they gave alms to the poor, they did so in such a way that they would be noticed by others. They prayed in public so that others would see them go on and on and on with these long-winded, very ostentatious petitions. And when they fasted, they made sure that everybody else knew about it by refusing to wash their faces and by acting very demonstratively. But Jesus warns, beware of practicing your righteousness before others to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven so in keeping with the rest of Jesus's teachings in the sermon on the mount the idea here is that god is not only concerned with our external actions but also with the underlying motivations of the heart behind those actions The question here is not whether you should abstain from doing these works of almsgiving, of prayer, and of fasting. Quite the contrary. Jesus assumes that you will be doing them as a faithful disciple. He says, when you give to the poor, when you pray, when you fast. So the question that you and I should ponder as we enter into this season of repentance in of fasting, in of focused devotion, the question that we should be asking is why we are doing them in the first place. And thus, Jesus provides us with some direction for how these practices ought to be carried out in the life of a baptized believer. So, as opposed to the look at me type of attitude that the Pharisees had, Jesus is calling us to humble piety. as disciples who have been crucified with Christ, we should know nothing of using our good works to score righteousness points with the world. I'll tell you now, the world isn't impressed anyways. The world has its own religion of works righteousness, so we might as well not even bother with goofing up our own and turning our religion into something that people can get anywhere else. But if we are, I was thinking about this, if we are not to draw attention to ourselves through these works, this raises a very important question, considering what Jesus has said in another part of his sermon, something that we heard very recently. We heard that we are to be salt and light, that we are to be a city set on a hill, that we are to let our light shine before others. This is the same sermon that Jesus is preaching Shouldn't other people see the good works that we do in Jesus' name? And therein lies the difference between the motivations of the Pharisees and the motivations of Jesus' people. It's not that our good works and our pious activities aren't, should never be seen by others, because that's quite impossible, by the way. It's a matter of our posture when doing them. Do they glorify God? Or are they a means of glorifying ourselves? So, for example, when you give to an organization like Driving Hope, which is an organization that we partner with, that an organization that provides medical transportation to the poor and to the needy and folks that need to get to their doctor's appointments. Consider giving to Driving Hope during this season of Lent. But whenever you give to Driving Hope over these next couple of months, you won't do it in hopes of getting a plaque or your name in the newspaper. You will do so because your father delights when you respond to his love in Christ for you by loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor through acts of kindness and generosity. When you pray this season, you will not concern yourself with posting it on Facebook and making sure everybody knows that you're a pious Christian. When you pray, you will commit yourself to it because you know that on account of Christ, your Father promises to hear you and to answer you and respond to what you need. Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer not only as content to pray, but also as a reminder of the simplicity of prayer in Jesus's way of praying there is no decreeing and declaring Uh, there is no naming and claiming as some of our modern heretics would suggest in the Lord's prayer we have simple petitions humbly asking God for what we need and when you fast this season whether it's from food or from luxury Or otherwise, it will not be so that everyone around you will know how holy you are. Rather, it will be because of what we're taught in the small catechism, that fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training. Preparation to receive the body and blood of our Lord. And when we do these things out of love for God, on account of what he's done for us in Christ, there is great reward. This is what Jesus says in his teaching. You see, the Pharisees had already received what they were after. They were after the accolades, the adulation of man. That was their prize. But you, you are after something much richer. You are after something far, far more important. Even if no one should see anything good that you do, which hardly seems likely, your father sees it. And because you belong to him through the death and resurrection of his son, there are rewards for you both in this life and in the life of the world to come. You will be rewarded with the fruits of faith, with a clear conscience here and now. The temporal blessings that come with doing what God calls you to do. And as much as you might seek anonymity from others, your good works will speak for themselves before others. And people will see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As Jesus said in another part of the sermon. And in the world to come, there are rewards for the good works carried out through faith in Christ, not because your works are perfect, but because even they are cleansed by the holy and precious blood of Jesus, and they are presented to God by his mediation. On the last day, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the rest of your Master. You see, we're going to die relatively soon. The hourglass is running out on each of us. We don't have time to play righteousness games with others, hoping in vain that they will give us a pat on the back for our commitment and our fidelity and our faithfulness to what we believe. It's a fool's errand to chase the approval of others, especially the fallen world. When it comes to our devotion to the Lord, why would we care about their approval? Don't get caught up in all that. Instead, take your medicine. Eat a slice of humble piety today. Remember who you belong to. You belong to the God who always sees you and always hears you. The omniscient one who knows your heart better than you do and for all of your impure motivations, for all the times that you have derived pleasure from the fleeting accolades of others, and for all the times that you have failed to give him glory through your good works, he has laid every single one of those upon Jesus, upon the cross, where Jesus has paid for it in full. And through his blood, you have full and free forgiveness. And he has done so, so that you may serve him in righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. So as we enter this Lenten season, may God our Father grant that we do so with all humility, giving him glory in all things, even as we pray. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In the name of Jesus, amen.